Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Uh, sorry for the short notice on this episode, but it was just um, something that I was thinking about making sure that we did at some point in the next 24 hours. Uh, I didn't feel as though there was much urgency on it in that I didn't mind if it was Tuesday, um, but I wanted it to be today or tomorrow, and I wanted it also to be before the draw and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's the, nobody cares about that. Uh, but maybe what people do care about is um, some news that just emerged in the last hour, Damien, uh, regarding uh, Alexander Zverev um, and being elected to the ATP Players Council, right? Yeah, Alexander Zverev is definitely a name that will pop up uh, in this episode quite a lot when it comes to the power rankings, when it comes to the United Cup, if we're talking about it as well. But um, yeah. Uh, I have to say that if some people who are currently, you know, raging about it on Twitter, I don't really see where the ATP is to blame here. Um, it's a voting con which is conducted by other players. So, like, the other players are to blame. If uh, there was any player so far that really ever spoke out against Zverev and the whole criminal case, you know, the domestic violence uh, case... I don't think we've had a situation like this. Like we've had some uh, recent feuds between Zverev and Medvedev, Zverev Tsitsipas, but they were always on a personal level. Zverev Tsitsipas with the bathroom break, Zverev Medvedev with the whole thing like, um, yeah, like when it comes to the friendship and whether they are friends. Uh, but actually, uh, Ben is very right here in the second sentence that the only conclusion is that his peers in the locker room don't care. That's really the only takeaway from this. The ATP, I, I, I know that when they saw who was voted, they were probably like, oh my goodness, now we have to announce him and the yeah. social media backlash is going to be there. And it will be. But uh, yeah, certainly I, I totally understand that uh, basically the only thing here is that the other players voted for him. So be angry at the players this time around is my, is my opinion. If, I mean, if, I... you're, if, you, if you think that Zverev shouldn't be on the Players' Council, uh, I personally like... Again, it, it, the players voted. So what it re what my opinion really has to do with it? No, nothing. I guess if if there is one criticism, and I and, and this this has all come across uh, come upon me at least quite quickly. So I haven't 
uh, heard all the arguments and haven't come to a definite conclusion. But perhaps if there is a criticism of the ATP, it's that that they don't have something in place that prevents people perhaps from, you know, uh, here's something, okay? It's, it's a bit of a tangent, but but bear with me on this. I think that there, uh, that to be uh, a prime minister or president, you should have qualifications. And uh, those qualifications, of course, would include um, certain ethical points and certain experience, certain managerial skills. I don't know what, just like you would for any job on the planet, basically. You'd have an interview and then they decide whether you're fit for the job. I actually think that wouldn't be a bad idea. So that way we don't have people like Boris Johnson and uh, Donald Trump in power. But the, the people vote for it. So, so that's right. Clearly, but then, clearly the whole population doesn't care whether the guy has these qualifications. Of course. So. But my, my point is that you should go through that process and then be up for, um, you know, if you've got no ex managerial experience whatsoever, but you look good and you make people laugh and you've got silly hair. I don't think that that suggests you should be fit to run a country. I mean, that's not are... democracy, though. At least not how I understand it. No, um, but maybe we need to tweak things a little bit. Um, anyway, back to Zverev, and we are still on Zverev. Trust me, um, you are broadly right. I do agree with you. People will. Be, I, I mean, he's out of touch to put himself up for this position in the first place. Uh, if he thinks he's on some sort of road for redemption, I, I, I think he's. Uh, going down the wrong path. Um, but I guess we kind of do know he's out of touch anyway, because I think we see him on the court, for example, when he's smashing his racket against umpire's chairs and maybe some other types of behaviours suggest that he's probably not quite in touch with, with reality anyway. <laughs> Should I reply to this? I mean, yeah, yes. I, I, I don't really understand why he wanted to do it. Maybe he felt like it would also improve his position among... Um, yeah, like the fellow Peterson at the same time, just get him something that is maybe, you know, getting that uh, moniker of, well, moniker, uh, not, not really a moniker, but like the reputation of, of him as a domestic abuse um, violator. Um, maybe, maybe he wanted to sort of just, yeah, have something different. I don't know if that was the reasoning. Um, I cannot really judge him for trying to do this because again, if he did, then it should be the other players. If, if it's not okay, then it should be the other players who don't vote for him. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really get that at all, why um, anyone really hasn't shown anything. I'm, I'm definitely not in the forefront of, like, um, you know, Zverev, you should suspend him right away. I think that would be wrong as, like, yeah. a precedent. But, um, yeah, I don't really understand how we haven't seen any reaction from any other players to this very case, really. They all they are all quiet. They all laugh with him on the court. They all handshake him. So, right. clearly, clearly, they don't and care. They've, that's the they've biggest... Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest... Uh, the, the, this election is actually the biggest sign. Because before then, you could just say, okay, so they, they are keeping quiet. They don't want to make, like, a big drama out of it for some reason, uh, even if they feel maybe that it isn't right. Because... I guess given that there is like a, at least two hundred, two, well, two thousand isn't going to play Zverev, but let's say about a thousand, about a hundred players have played Zverev since. Um, I guess just statistics would tell you that at least a couple of them must feel like he he would have to be banned, right? Like what we see on Twitter and etc. It seems like uh, there's a pretty high percentage of the population that does. So no one has ever done anything, and this is the biggest indicator that, as Ben said here, they just don't care. Yeah. Um, my viewpoint, which I have shared uh, uh, from time to time on, on Zedev as a whole, not necessarily today's news, um, is basically that um, I, I, I do see an innocent till proven guilty scenario. And that's, um, I think it's a very dangerous, slippery slope when we start presuming guilt uh, for people. Um, and then we are slipping into the territory of all these other countries around the world that the West demonizes. So, uh, and perhaps rightly so, because I think if you can just, as you said before we went live, you know, if you can just accuse someone of something and get them out of the way, uh, because that's what would happen, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to make the ATP tour finals and you just want to remove a, and <laughs> someone from your path. Well, just uh, make up a, a, a spurious claim. So I, I, I think, um, uh, that's also dangerous. I don't get involved um, because 
it's it's something I just don't know about. So I'm not one of the people that are on Twitter that are, you know, that will will make certain accusations against Fedev that until now haven't been proven guilty. Do I particularly like him? No. Is he my favorite player? No. Do I want him to lose? Probably more often than not. Yes. Um, but f- those are all for t- tennis and personality reasons. You know, when I, when I see him whacking the the umpires, you know, chair, for example, and and some of those other things. Um, you know, and, and him putting himself up for the players' council is another sort of black mark. That's the that's the main uh, the other main thing. But I don't know what on earth he was thinking. Uh, but there we go. Any final words on it before we move on, Damien? Yeah, I don't think so. Like as you know, it's not really a topic that I also want to. Well, we can talk about it here, but I, like I'm not going to tweet about it. For example, I don't want to get into that discussion mostly because uh, I just prefer to talk about the tennis and. I don't really uh, want to get involved in that whole thing. Um, let's talk about the tennis then, shall we? And let's talk about some good news, I think. Uh, many, many of us will regard it as uh, good news. As I don't think there's too many uh, Grigor Dimitrov ha- haters out there. And if they are, I'd, uh, I'd be curious uh, as to uh, why. Um, of course, he's ended a six-year uh, drought. I saw it put in weak terms as well. I think it was over 2,000. Uh, someone out there can do the maths for me if they want. Um, and yeah, what? Three hundred around it must be like three hundred and something. Two thousand. That's days then. That's days oh, then. Oh, okay. oh yeah, days. No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I was confused for a moment, but yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. That's why I don't do it. Um, so anyway, Grigor has uh, got over that title drought, as is also shared in the in the. Whoops. I guess John has been kicked out of the stream for some reason. They banned him for this very of hate. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I will talk about Grigor Dimitrov until he's back, I suppose. So Grigor, as John just told you, has ended a six-year title drought. Last year, it was a five-year one uh, when it comes to the finals because Grigor had that 2017 ATP finals title. Of course, that was his like biggest moment on the ATP tour. He gets to world number three. Never would have guessed that it would take him this long. He also made the final in 2018 Rotterdam. He made the Australian Open quarters that year, right after the, the, these NITO ATP finals in 2017. So it was like he was right back there, you know? He was straight up just um, after a couple of months, he was still there. And then for some reason, five years without a final, now six years without a title. Indeed, it would be hard to find someone who uh, doesn't like Grigor Dimitrov. And that also makes for a very fun... Uh, this is the last time I mentioned this when, you know, this whole player council thing. But it's also pretty funny when you have Zverev and Dimitrov. You know, Dimitrov is like universally loved by his peers, by the fans, by everyone. And Zverev, who at least among the fans, at least the hardcore ones, um, yeah, has a, probably the worst reputation on the tour. Indeed. I, I don't know what happened to me. I just got disappeared. And hopefully now when I share my screen of uh, Dimitrov's celebration, I won't disappear on this occasion. Let's see if it works. Am I still here? Yes, I am. Good. Because last time I pressed a couple of buttons, I just disappeared. Anyway, I apologize for that. Um, yeah, I'm guessing you probably just, you know, sort of fleshed out in the last six years of his career in, in two minutes. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess it it was kind of coming. I I, I didn't expect him to beat Runa, though. 50-50. But, um, yeah, I I think what I'm trying to say is that um, yesterday, or maybe even today, someone used uh, Dimitrov as an argument when it comes to team and said that you see that Dimitrov is now having this resurgence when it comes to the, you know, the 30s of his. Basically, he's in his 30s and he has such a resurgence. But it's not like Dimitrov was ever truly gone. I don't know that he didn't, I don't care that he didn't have a final for five years or that he didn't have a title for six, but he was still always like around top 30 at least. He was always getting a couple of semifinals a year at least. So I think maybe there was also a question of like his focus. He wasn't putting in that much effort in these lower tier events. Like, for example, even the fact that he doesn't play Sofia, like he wasn't going around chasing titles basically, right? So I think part of that is, is, is this thing. And it's not like he was ever truly gone. Of course, he wasn't really at the peak of his abilities, which it seems like the last couple of months he pretty much is. I don't think he's playing much worse than when he was number three. You know, of course, that 2017 season was a little weird in that you had Federer, Nadal, and a large gap between anyone else. So it was also a good, good season to end at year number three, year number three because Mare wasn't there, Djokovic wasn't there. 
But um, yeah, basically what I'm trying to say is that he was never truly gone. He was always in the picture. He was always a threat who could just randomly pop up. And in, in, in fact, in some big events, he certainly did. So it's not like he was truly gone, but certainly for after take get this after six years, it, it's a massive achievement. And up until Geneva, up until here with the titles, up until Geneva with the finals, it was always like a bit of a fun fact that you could surprise people with. And that kind of mm. tells you, you know, what sort of reputation he still had as a player, where yeah. the fact that he hasn't made a final in five years was like, what? I have to check if that's really true. And um, yeah, I guess that's the best, that's the best depiction of, of, you know, how how shocking it was that a player of his stature, of his abilities, uh, couldn't get there for five years in comes to, when it comes to the final six, when it comes to the titles. Um, his run to the final, I mean, it wasn't exactly legendary i mean beating jordan thompson in the semis uh i should have checked this before i'm trying to think who else did he beat on route uh, rinky hijikata daniel altmaier andy murray um jordan thompson and Holger Rune. yeah andy murray in the first round um yeah it was a very it, it was a very easy uh, path honestly compared to how stuck the draw in brisbane was like when you look at runa's draw for example it's like every single round is tougher it seems well maybe purcell against murray that's that's like comparable right now maybe even uh, but uh, the next rounds for Rune were definitely tougher. But, you know, Dimitrov is the best player in the history of the tournament, essentially. He has two titles there now. He has 23 wins, I think, uh, which is the most in tournament history as well. He's made, like, numerous deep runs in Brisbane. So, uh, yeah, it makes total sense. And obviously, he did play very well, too, in the final as well. We'll see in a few minutes where where we have him in our power rankings. Yes, we will. Um, what do we make of... Oh, and I can just ask, answer this question uh, as a little interruption, but it's, I don't think it does things too badly. Uh, Nole's injury, uh, Rasik is answer, asking. Rasik, do make sure you hit the like button. And if you click subscribe, Rasik, you'll see that little subscriber thing tick over and you can feel very proud of yourself. Um, but regarding his injury, as far as I'm aware, he's actually going to be on the practice court at around about four or five o'clock Melbourne time tomorrow. Uh, if that's yeah, Matthew just, Matthew just advice, commented yeah. about it, yeah. yeah. So that suggests that things are not too bad, but we'll, we'll wait and see. I mean, obviously, the answer to the question generally is we don't know, but he is due to practice tomorrow, which says something. Um, what does this run and ultimate defeat mean for Holger Runa? I think it's a perfectly fine start to the season, you know. I yeah. don't think he can be too disappointed. Uh, we sort of have to just throw him into an event like the Australian Open and, and see how he does. Last year, of course, it was very different. We were all expecting huge things after Paris. Uh, he did for three rounds play amazingly well, like well enough where we were thinking, okay, this guy might take down Djokovic. If, if someone in the event takes down Djokovic, it's probably him. Of course, that didn't pan out because he lost to Rublev and it was even if he won and he was very close, it was clear that he wasn't ready for a Grand Slam winning run. Is he ready now? We kind of just have to wait and see. Uh, definitely since that uh, patch where he lost like six consecutive matches or something like that at the in, the in the North American hardcore swing at the beginning of the Chinese swing last year, it seems like he has made the step up. He was back to being a contender in Paris and, and at the ATP finals. He was very fine here despite the tough draw. So I'm expecting him to be very dangerous in Australia as well. Hopefully no more fitness issues as well. We also have to see like where that situation is really, because I don't think in Brisbane we, we got the chance to um, yeah ch test him also on that level. Recently, mostly um, like back in, the, in that uh, poor patch that he had, it was common for him to struggle. Then of course, only in the two free setters against Djokovic, he was really down again, but it's also different intensity. But yeah, I, I feel like we cannot really say too much yet about his form or like his, yeah, the, the state of his Australian Open winning chances until we actually get him playing that big event and we see if he's back to that wonderful track that he was basically in the in the first half of the 2023 season. He still was on it. Yeah, he doesn't really, my opinion doesn't really change for him. In fact, it would have been a, yeah. almost a bonus if he had won. Um uh if he'd won then it would be like okay that's nice to win your first title uh and to already equal the number of titles i think he won last i think he just won the one last year in munich munich uh, yeah yeah so he would have already got off to that start and that would have been a, a great start for him this year but yet he hasn't for example and we won't uh, uh, elaborate too much on it right now but he hasn't moved at all in my um in my uh power rankings as a result of he has i think i thought he, he might have done he, he has moved down, down one? one spot, but yeah. that's not because of his performance. 
Okay. It, it's another player that has moved up rather than he okay. has moved down. But simply, I mean, because yeah. one player has gone up, he has to go down. But it's not because of the Brisbane run. No, no. I mean, Rune's, uh, you know, Rune's position in my rankings hasn't changed. Although technically, he is now down because one of the pl other players um, did much better than him. Fair enough. Um, okay, let's have a look at some of the other people in Brisbane before we move over to Hong Kong. Uh, Jordan Thompson making the semi-finals. Of course, the match with Rafa Nadal kind of took on three, four, five different dimensions, both during uh, and since uh, the match. Um, what do we make of, of Jordan in general? Where, you know, have we, have we changed our opinion on him at all in the last six, seven days? Uh, is he now going to be a, a second week candidate at, or, 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 at the Australian Open? Or was it all a bit of a, you know, okay, he plays Rafa and perhaps in the third set, Rafa was, was diminished? No, not six, seven days, but like over the past year and a half, maybe, I would say Thompson has become a lot more adequate on the ATP level. Uh, he was always a bit of a, well, you could call it vulturing, you could call it smart scheduling. Uh, when it comes to the Challenger Tour, like he would often play events in Asia, Australia, in order to get the States. It, you know, he would succeed in events like that in order to keep himself around that Grand Slam level, around the Grand Slam main draws. Right now, it doesn't, even though he had a ranking of like around 50 at some point, but that was also kind of, you know, done in, let's say, not like typical fashion. Right now, for the past year or so, I think he's been absolutely holding his own on the ATP Tour. Uh, it's great to see him just pick up a first ATP Tour semi as well, not on grass. He only had four before and all of them were on grass. So it's also definitely a huge step up for him. And um, yeah, I'm just expecting to be, him to be a solid part of the Tour. And like for the first time really in his career, I believe like he, he belongs here in the long run. Like he, he's not a guy who will just fall off in a second, but... He actually will keep picking up wins. He will pick, keep picking up decent runs. And uh, it's limited. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it isn't. Jordan Thompson isn't suddenly going to be in the top 10 in a second. But um, he has absolutely maximized, I think, the, the potential, the ability that he has. He has improved the first serve so much, especially when it's a little quicker. That forehand has um, you know, pretty much no limitations then. You can just sort of work around its weaknesses. So, um, yeah, I, I just think he's done exactly what he had to do over the years to improve his game, get it to a stage where I can actually start appreciating his game a lot. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't, I, I, I wasn't really a big fan of Jordan Thompson a couple of years back, especially due to his uh, on-court behavior, which to an extent hasn't changed. But now I actually have fun watching him as well, which for the most part is just the, the main thing I look at. All right. Um... I do want to talk quickly about Nadal. It's very difficult to really talk much more, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I contemplated doing something yesterday, but we were live with doing matches and stuff. And um, ironically, the, the news emerged at the exact point that um, Dimitrov was winning his title. And of course, that news, by the way, is that Rafa Nadal has um, pulled out of the Australian Open. Very, very difficult to analyse, I would suggest, there are many ways of looking at it negatively. There are many ways of looking at it positively. Uh, what are the positives for, for probably for some people that are thinking there's only negatives? Well, he said it's not the exact same injury. He said it's it's muscular rather than tendon. It's in a slightly different place. Um, it's it's a uh, if it wasn't for the previous injury, we would probably look at him maybe taking it cautiously rather than anything else. But I think um, with the previous injury as well, it probably adds to that. Um, are you are you kind of slightly more though negative than positive about this this news about the hip injury again? The news isn't great for sure. I was definitely very positive regarding the Brisbane run. I think it was really you know, of course he was very close to making the semis, so it could have been slightly better. But if he arrives in the semis after playing three hours against Thompson, he probably loses to Dimitrov anyway. So it could have been a bit better, but it was still a perfect run, I think, for, for the first event back after such a long time and also on a on a hard court as well. So I was just hoping to see him at the Australian Open. You know, whatever the draw was, he could have gone out round one easily. There were like 30 players in the opening round who probably would have been tough for him. But there were also potential draws where he could have made like round three or something. There's also the day off at the slams 
which really helps sometimes older players actually are able to peek at the slums a little better because even though it's best of five you still get the day off and, and that might be actually better for you when you're like 39 or 38 we've been seeing that in recent years with some at least but uh, overall, uh, yeah, it's just a little disappointing, but it gives him a lot of time to be prepared for the clay season. Um, it is, if it's his last season, then it's a big shame, of course, for the Australian Open that he won't show up there. Um, and I don't think he will be retiring at the Australian Open, for example, next year. If he, if he does play next year, then it's probably still going to be like Paris or Madrid or Barcelona or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Australian Open will be hoping to have host him again. And um, it all depends probably on the clay season, like what the next um, few years even or what the next few months can be for Nadal. I think it will all depend on whether he's healthy for the clay season and whether he's competitive there at all. If um, if and if, of course, uh, is something that he has mentioned before, um, funnily enough, and he's dead right when doing so, you know, if it doesn't really exist. Um, but... Um, you know, the clay will hopefully be a little bit easier on the joints and the muscles, uh, albeit that the rallies will be longer, but at least at least that pounding thing that I see on a hard court more than the other two surfaces uh, won't impact as much. I mean, maybe that's the absolute extreme optimism. Anyway, listen, I, I do think we should move on because this this news has been probably uh, told about, talked about to the death, and if we were going to really do it in depth, uh, we should have done it 24 hours ago, but I was um, sleeping. So, um uh hong kong i think really because um i do want to get on and, and move on to various other topics as well hong kong of course andre rublev winning the title it also by the way of course featured another player that has pulled out the australian open a slightly less shock waves across the the tennis world when liam Brody announced that he would be pulling out uh stricker is also out as well i'm just in updates of players out injured anyone else in the last few days pulled out on the men's side uh riley apelka riley apelka yeah so Stryker, um nadal is that all i think it and, might be all limbody limbody or limbody limbody that's qualifying yeah i was just thinking of the main draw oh, from the qualifying there's been a few but i think from the main draw that's actually all of them um from the qualifying in, I don't, um, yeah brody in recent days but otherwise i also don't really think alexis galarno maybe but that's literally it so it, it's not a huge um you know range of withdrawals let's say there were there were some early on like muteo rodionov but that, that was also qualifying but anyway, um, yeah, Liam Brody, I retweeted his withdrawal post and I didn't retweet the Rafa one. So you clearly see which one is more important. But that's only because I follow Liam and I don't follow Rafa. Uh, but yeah, we were supposed to talk about Hong Kong, right? Or Do you follow um, Novak? No, no. I, I follow like five players. I only really follow the players who do something on their account that's interesting. Like if there's a Rafa or Novak post that I should read, then it's going to be on my timeline anyway. Because yeah. people will be, you know, retweeting it. People will be talking about it, like the withdrawal post. Whereas the the players who actually do something with their accounts, like I don't know Brody or uh, Sumit Nagal, that that's who I follow. And I also follow the guys who follow me because then I feel stupid if I don't. But anyway, uh, yeah, Andrei Rublev. I just think he never got out of second gear <laughs> in Hong Kong, which is fine. That's something we've been talking over the years, uh, talking about over the years. That he just uh, has that su stupidly high base level. Maybe it's sometimes hard for him to go above, but he doesn't really go below and that's why i think there was never really a story involving hong kong this week when it comes to the winner at least there was of course yun cheng shang who i think was the biggest one for sure uh when it comes to the whole event but um yeah rublev we'll see where he lands in our power rankings in like a couple of minutes okay let's um we can always pivot back to hong kong and some other men's stories but as we've got uh bianco on board right now Let's, uh, I will begin though with you, Damien, before I come down to Bianca, because um, for those of you that don't know, she's uh, put out into the uh, YouTube sphere her uh, power rankings. I did post it in the live chat at the beginning, um, but you can also revisit it after this show, but it'll also come up in the next few minutes. But I want to ask you, Damien, did Rublev change, for example? Did, was Rublev's win in Hong Kong influential at all in where you placed him in your list? No. I, I don't think anything really changed in my power rankings. He's still like it, it really depends what sort of criteria you have as well. Because if we're looking at potentially winning the event, I should probably have him a spot or two lower. But I decided to have form as like the more important thing. And form, um, not even looking at Hong Kong, but like in general, maybe 
the fact that he's more likely to reach a deep, let's say, let's say to reach the quarters or the semis than some of the players that I ranked below him. That's more important for me than actual chances to win the whole event. But that also wasn't influenced at all by Hong Kong. So um, yeah, I believe if we just scrapped the first week of the ATP tour, as I said earlier, Rune would have been one higher on my list, but that's not due to his performance. That's due to another player. You're going to see who in a, a while. And Rublev would have been the same. Well, we're going to see him now. I'm going to put them across the bottom of the okay. screen. Um, we will come back possibly to Hong Kong and some other things. Do you like the vibe thing I'm giving off with the, with the police? <laughs> police edge, car. Edge. I want to make an edge to the, to the show, you know, bring a bit of edginess to it, which is uh, cool. Uh, I've got the zooming across the bottom of the screen. So hopefully you can all keep up at the back, including uh, my uh, 10, where Rublev does squeeze in. And I do think probably... I did decide to put him in at nine on my list as opposed to 10 or even not in it at all, um, just because he won a title this week. Um, but I'd like to know uh, as well from you, Bianca. Bianca's will be zooming across as well as Damien's now. Um, Bianca, I, I want to begin really with probably Holger Rune at five and... Um, uh, four, you have, um, tell me, it's going to be on the screen. I think I had Sorry, Holger, Runa Holger at, four. at four. Yeah. Oh yeah. Runa at four, Sinner at five. Mm -hmm. That was probably the thing that stood out most. There are one or two other questions. Why did you put Runa and, and Sinner at five? Um, I feel like I think Holger Runa has maybe a bit more to give than Yannick Sinner. Not that he, I mean, Yannick's results, I feel like the end of last year were really amazing and it's proved like the kind of player that he has been this whole time. But I don't know. I think the wins that Holgeruna has gotten in past, like the Paris Masters beating Djokovic and some of the like displays that he's put on, I feel like I, I don't know. I feel like I trust him a little bit more to go further especially at the Australian Open, than Yannick Sinner. I've, I was switching them around a lot, but then watching him in Brisbane, I was like, okay, I think I should definitely keep him at four. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, of course, we haven't seen Yannick Sinner mm -hmm. yet. So, you know, there is a risk that he yeah. might, you know, go out. he could go out early in, in, in Australia as a result of maybe this slight gamble. Although, as, as Damien mentioned, I think a day or two ago, um, other players have followed suit as well at uh, um, the upper echelons of tennis. Damien, does does it surprise you that that, that someone might put Runa at four and uh, and Sinner at five? A touch. Um, perhaps mostly because Runa, of course, has had his issues in, in best of five. Like, that's the only reason it's surprising to me. And I guess also after Sinner's latter half of the 2023 season... I would probably more expect people to put Sinner at number two. Like I was maybe more so thinking of Sinner or Alcaraz at number two rather than whether it should be, you know, different at four or five. So it's a little surprising, but of course uh, I'm a big believer in Rune, so uh, nothing wrong there for me because like the ideal state of his game, the potential that he has right now, I definitely subscribe to that church and I would put him much higher if it was just, you know, straight up, let's say, power level, but I don't really look at the fitness. I don't look at anything, really. Just sort of power level in the future, potential upside, I would maybe put him uh, much uh, higher than uh, than six. So, um, yeah, I, I can't really say that it's wrong or something. I think it's all arguable. Um, yeah. yeah, go on, Bianca. I, I feel like I didn't want to be, like, taken over by recency bias. I mean, he has done really uh -huh. well at the end of the year. But same with Runa, he's had some really tough five-set losses. And a lot of those big matches, like the Alcaraz match at US Open, he was on the losing end of those. And then even losing the finals of the ATP finals, I feel like it was just a few of those moments where I was like, okay, maybe this is where I'll keep him at five because everyone, like Holger, Carlos, Daniel, everyone I rated above him in the list, in some of those moments, they, they were able to win like in those big moment matches, which is why I think I kept him raised. Even though I feel like he's really close behind all of them. It was difficult for like five between three where I was going to put everyone. 
Yeah, Sinner, of course, went out last year in the fourth round to Sitsipas. The year before, he went out in the quarterfinals to Sitsipas. Very different. He's getting closer, although you could argue that Sitsipas is getting further away uh, because it was five sets last year and straight sets the year before. That loss that Sinner had to Sitsipas two years ago actually did shock me a little bit, both the level from Steph and also the level from, from Sinner too. And it, it sort of jolted me a little bit and made me sort of ignore uh, Yannick for a little while. But um. Uh, we can't ignore him right now. Um, yeah. I've got him uh, at three on my list. For me, the the list sort of fell into sort of three or four sections. Uh, Novak, obviously, at number one. And, and uh, I think he'd have to be pretty crazy uh, or, or insanely biased not to have him at number one. Then the next section was two, three, four. And I, I'll be honest with you, there are arguments to put each one in different spots. I just want to see Damien's two, three, and four. Actually, I can't remember it right now. Damien, what's your two, three, four? Alcaraz, Sinéry, Medvedev. Yeah, same as mine then. Uh, I've got Mario's on the screen right now. He's got Medvedev at three. But I also uh, found Jack's a little surprising because he had Medvedev at two. Uh, we did speak so did about I. it. <laughs> oh, you but, had him at two as yeah, well? Yeah, that's what Bianca has. I think Mario is just kidding himself. Like Mario just wants Sinner to be to win this, so he's putting him lower, not to jinx him. That, that, <laughs> that's my opinion. But so um, yeah, and but you've both, so both Jack and Bianca have Medvedev at two. I guess that's sort of looking at a long-term reputation, both on a hard court and in Australia, right, Bianca? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it in the video. I think you know uh, how many Grand Slam finals he's been in and how few he's won. And in Australia, you know, you don't want to see a, a stretch uh, uh, Murray-esque uh, in terms mm -hmm. of losing finals. Um, I all just, of them I, against the big, big two as well, I guess, right? Like all of them against Nadal and Yeah, Djokovic. Nadal yeah. twice and Djokovic twice, is it? Djokovic twice, Nadal twice. It's four Grand Slam final losses and one win. Uh, but of course, that one win did come against uh, Novak. I don't know. I just, I just, you know, Medvedev, Sinner. Sinner seems to have turned a corner. Medvedev, Alcaraz, we know. Uh, that so for, for me, it's like um, Medvedev plays Djokovic, who's the favorite, and what are the odds? 70 30, probably. Medvedev plays Alcaraz, who's the favorite? Alcaraz, Medvedev plays Sinner, and some people, Jack, for example, might put Medvedev favorite. But if they go both go into that semi final, for example, in a clean fashion with a couple of four sets on the way, then I might just edge towards Sinner, bearing in mind he's kind of turned that uh, rivalry around in recent weeks. Yeah, I honestly put Medvedev fourth because I just don't believe in him beating Djokovic. I have PTSD after the US Open final. Whereas Alcaraz Sinner, I could see it, you know. It's possible. both of you, by the way. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're mm -hmm. you're both here though. You both had Medvedev winning in five, I think, in New York before the match. I definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. And Bianca did yeah. too, because I remember speaking to her about it the other day. Um so that that's the reason basically. I, I think Medvedev, Sinner, Alcaraz, if they play each other, well, Medvedev, Alcaraz, I would still favor Carlos because of the matchup. But like all the other uh, in that in that in that free, uh, group of three players, all the matchups are pretty close. But I just trust Alcaraz and Sinner to trouble Djokovic. I don't trust Medvedev to do it, so that's why he's number four. But I totally understand if someone has him at number two. I even had a friend of mine um, sort of show me his power rankings, and he had number two. He had Medvedev and Zverev sort of combined. That was a little shocking to me, but I said, okay, I can handle this. But are you forgetting that Sinner exists? Because Sinner wasn't in his top 10. And thankfully, yes, that's, that was the case. Oh, he, he just forgot. Well, thankfully, he just forgot Sinner. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, st he still wanted Medvedev or Zverev at number two, which Zverev yeah. was a little surprising to me, but I'm seeing Medvedev second for a lot of people. And I can see why I just, yeah, after that US Open final, I can't really back him against Djokovic anymore, at least not in, at the Grand Slam stage. Bianca, let's talk about the second half of your list. Um, and I think the standout name for me was Ben Shelton at number nine. I, I, I Listen, this, this, this part, to be honest with you, is the least controversial. I think if you didn't have Novak at number one, that would be controversial. <laughs> I, think, I think to some extent, maybe stronger than Damien, I think having Runa and Sinner in that order is a, is a small, slight talking point. To be fair, six to ten... And Mario's cheating, by the way, by putting two players at 10 there. Mario uh, put Ruth in his rankings. We should just, you know, <laughs> not look at that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, but he's just doing that because Ruth's a nice guy. 
you know, and also it, he plays pretty well at the United Cup. Ah, yeah, true, yeah, here at the true, bottom, yeah, but yeah. he's he's looking at how strong they are looking some days before the start of the tournament. So I think that's what Mario was going for. Also, the nice guy factor is a thing. I, I know, like I, I always pick uh, for like grand some qualifying predictions. I tend to pick the guys that you know have been nice to me or something like that. I, I know it's a factor, <laughs> but uh, nah. I mean, I would I never really considered Ruth for the top ten. No, maybe Sitsipas at six, Bianca. Slight question mark. Like too too high or too low? Too high. Too, too high. high. Too high. Really? Yeah. I feel like I I maybe would have put him lower, but the fact that he I feel like I just don't understand I mean, him sometimes. I don't trust him because last year I didn't think he was gonna do anything and then he made the final. So I feel like it might have been a bit stupid not to even include him on this list, especially because of how I don't know he whoops. feels at the tournament. <laughs> Whoops, I didn't. <laughs> it didn't at all. I'm just looking at your list again now, Damien. Yeah, it didn't at all. I, I think I had to include him. And, and I, I, you know, his Australia form is possibly, you know, I, I think he should be getting better results come the end of his career at the French. When we look at 15 years, for example, it may well be that case. But uh, right now, as we, as we pause in time, his equally best results at least have come in Australia. Uh, of course, we know about New York and, and Wimbledon. Um, but, um, yeah, six for me, for a guy, I might've put him in and around six last year, maybe a bit higher because of some of the absences and question marks. But, um, but right now, I, uh, yeah, he was, he was possibly not in my, in my top 10 in the end he did squeeze in, but, but I will also repeat from six to 15, you know, or so, so there's probably 10 or 15 players you know, that, for example, I'm looking at Mario's list right now. Rude sort of stands out. Uh, Bianco on your list, as I said, Shelton for me kind of stands out. But they are, there are arguments for both those players. I mean, Shelton's run last year, Bianco, probably influenced for you a bit, though. Yeah, that and his US Open run. I feel yeah, like I'm... it's kind of shocking that his two best results have come at the Grand Slam. I think he is kind of a player that loves those big moments, that big crowd, that energy he feeds off of it. Um and so I think that's kind of my decision why I would put him in there. I see him doing well again, especially probably he's going to get support from the crowd there if he's not playing an Australian um, and it might propel him. I, I did say I don't know if he's going to go as far, but I definitely am not going to count him out. Yeah, which I think is the question of criteria that I mentioned. Like Shelton, uh, actually, John, when I texted you and like asked you what are the criteria when it comes uh -huh. to the number 10 spot, I was wondering between Deminor and Shelton. So Deminor was my form pick. Shelton was my, he has a chance to win the event, whereas Alex Deminor has zero. And that, that was literally <laughs> what I was thinking about. So if, if I was doing it on the basis of who can actually win the event, yes, Shelton. I wish we got his Auckland run first. Like, I wish we see his, his Auckland run first. But of course, by the time, well, maybe actually he will lose in the opening round in Auckland to Fabian Maroshan. Who knows? Uh, they played last year and it was very close. I think Fabi had two set points in the second set, so it's possible. And uh, if we get a loss there, then maybe he, we actually get his Auckland run before the draw. But in other case, we might actually see it only after the draw is made. So, so it would change everything up. But like, yeah, Shelton, if, if I'm just talking about who can win the event, he's actually on, in the group which has not a 0%, but let's say a 0.8. <laughs> uh, please ignore my misspelling of Demonor. I, I often spell Demonor D-I. It's actually the Italian way of spelling it rather than spanish or, or french but anyway excuse me for that but it doesn't make any difference uh, i've just got demon all squeezing in i think we've all got him just about squeezing into our list is he's on your list bianca demon all? oh no he got an honorable mention I think, honorable right? mention yeah yeah at uh, dimitrov as well is one that's that's borderline and for mm -hmm. me doesn't make it what is the controversial one amongst us that we're sharing right now for me anyways jack has got him as high as six but i have you got him quite high damien eight but over yeah. Runa is controversial, I think. I think there's, a, for me at least, there's a very clear top six. I don't know if there was before the United Cup, but I think Zverev has definitely done enough to get, you know, into that conversation and inside the very clear top six for me. And Dimitrov, who do I have at number seven? Ah, Rublev. Yeah, I was thinking about that one. I think Dimitrov should be above Hurkacz right now. And um, when it comes to Rublev, I can't quite justify putting him there. Although I do feel like Rublev has a worse, like his chance of winning, his chance of winning the title is weaker than Dimitrov's. Um, Dimitrov can actually win the title, whereas Rublev for me is like a very, very 
Um, like it, it's, it's just marginally above the minors. I just think Rublev has a very good chance of getting far. Yeah, the Rublev-Shelton dynamic actually is kind of interesting as well, because actually, although I have, don't have Shelton in my list, and I have Rublev at around about nine, I think, um, which suggests borderline quarterfinalist, and I kind of do trust him, whereas Shelton could go out in the second round or make the semis. And in fact, if Shelton and and, and um, Rublev meet, say, for the company, I think probably the fourth round would be a, a possibility, I, I, I think. Am I right with that? Uh, or would they be kept separate? I'm not sure. But if they were to meet in the second week, by then I might be switching and going, you know, because I think if they met each other, I would probably favor Shelton. Which seed is Shelton? Like 15, 14, something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, then it has to be the quarters, yeah. Quarters, okay, yeah. So if they just suddenly met in the quarters and Shelton, if he's got to the quarters, has probably shown us something. Yes, yes um, Shelton is the favorite then. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, because he's just got more weapons, basically. All right, Bianca, I know your, your time is limited. I do want uh, one more, though, uh, thought from you. Um, you've got Alcaraz at three, I think. Am I right with mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Um, did you think about putting him higher or lower or was it, was it just like, I mean, these are all pretty fine, especially as I say, Medvedev, Alcaraz, Sin, although I know you've squeezed Runa in there, but I've got Alcaraz at two, but you put him at three. Why? Um, sort of because he, we haven't seen him at the Australian Open in a while. I don't know how he will, you know, fare on that court specifically. Um, and yeah, that's that's basically why, and because Daniil has done better there. It was kind of a switch between the two of them for two and three. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll be completely wrong by the end of this tournament. We can throw my list away. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll all have our lists uh, blown open. Um, I, I will be doing myself a sort of um, a match by bat match prediction um, on the eve of the tournament once the draw is made. But I do like to do this independent of the draw because you know we may look at the Wimbledon draw last year and it would have just been completely different to the power rankings and as I was saying to Damien earlier you know you know who would have predicted that that Von Drusser would win that tournament but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that she deserves to be in a 10 power rankings even now retrospectively you could say oh I had Von Drusser at five in my power rankings and I would say well that's still wrong you know it's still wrong to have her at five you know Djokovic might not win the Australian Open but there is no argument to put him really anywhere but one there's one wrist. Oh, the wrist. And, and yeah. if someone does it because of that, if he, he or she believes that this is very serious, yes. If there's any other argument for putting Djokovic number two, number three, no. Yeah, that, that's just BS. Jack, there, I'm um, uh, going on the Dimitrov. Uh, again? I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I I'm joking. I mean, I, I've just heard, a, heard it a lot in recent days that 2024 is the year of Grigor. Uh, I would love to see it uh, for Grigor and for you, Jack. <laughs> Let me tell you this, though. Jack has changed a little bit because about October, just before his Paris Bercy run, he wasn't fully on board with this Dimitrov mm -hmm. has had a quietly good year. So I will. And it's, it's out there in the, mm. in the YouTube sphere. He said it publicly. He, of course, it's fair to change your mind, bearing in mind he's just won a 250 and he's also um, had a good run in, in, in Paris Bercy. But um, we, did you, I don't know if you've seen the video yet, Bianca. I mean, I've made a few little adjustments or a little additions to your video. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> you, you got it, because Dimitrov... I got to watch it. Dimitrov gets a, um, uh, a little moment, let's say, in oh, the video. Oh, okay. Now I have to go... Nothing from your, your, your video has changed as such, other than I think... Um, you did the classic one, which I do all the time, which is you get your numbers confused at one point. But I yeah, think, I, I think, put a little note on that. I think there was two number sevens. Or, or, or uh, you, the great thing is, though, is even though you said number seven at the beginning, you did correct it inadvertently. You corrected yourself at the end by going, and he's my number eight. Yeah. So then I cut that and moved it to the front. Oh well, thank you because I the didn't only problem that is the after. emphasis, the, the intonation, or whatever mm -hmm. the word is, sounds wrong because you go, and he's my number eight. Whereas and, then now it begins with, and now it begins with, and he's my number eight, Alexander Spedov. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll hear it. Um, uh, and I've added a couple of little, little video clips in there too, which hopefully brings some fun to the occasion. Uh, Bianca, I really want to uh, say big thanks both for joining us today, but also giving us these power rankings. They are immensely popular. They are immensely controversial because people get confused between the players that they like and the players that they think uh, and the players that they want and the players that they don't want. 
Uh, but the idea is to to try and separate ourselves from that. Ghosty, for example, was in the live chat yesterday saying that Kenin would be his at number 10 on the women's side. Uh, and his argument was that she's won the Australian Open before and that the, the WTA sort of is crazy. And who would have? But that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't mean she deserves. She could go on and win the Australian Open, but it doesn't mean that he's justified by putting her at 10. And he didn't have Bagula in there because he doesn't like Ooh. her. Did you have Trevisan in there? <laughs> oh, well, I, I said that he should have Trevisan at number one for that yeah. exact reason. Yeah. Trevisan was one to nine and then the rest can finish. Uh, anyway, Bianca, big thanks for joining us today. And um, you can slide off into the Canadian sun. if there was <laughs> No sun right now. I'm in the front of my window and it's just a gray scene outside. All right. Big, <laughs> big thanks, uh, Bianca. And we'll speak to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Cheers. All right, Damien, uh, just you and I now, just for a few more minutes, I think. Did we miss anything, do you think, regarding Hong Kong? I, I just sort of um, moved away from that slightly because, of course, we started a bit later and I did say to Bianca to start. Depends what you want to talk about, really. Um, if we're talking about Australian Open contenders, no. Um, if we're talking about Yun Cheng Shang, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, um... no, that's exactly what I want to, you know, that's the kind of thing I do want to talk about because um, I, I want to now leave, we've done the power rankings, I want to sort of leave Australian Open a bit to, to the to the late one in the week anyway with the draw and, and some other things coming up, previews and I'm sure happening. When is the Australian Open draw? Does anyone, I should probably know by now, but Thursday, always, um, Thursday 3 p.m. local time, maybe? 3 p.m. local time. So what's that like? Early hours of the morning, 4 or 5 in the morning for Poland? I don't know. <laughs> I I think it's five a.m. Maybe, but I, I it's I don't know. I'm guessing. Like I yeah. I literally don't don't care. I I know the Australian Open qualifying will start at midnight for me, but I think main draw play usually starts at one a.m. So it would make sense if it's ten a.m. and eleven a.m. So five a.m. then. But I I'll, I'll just be watching. I mean, and now that the first day of the Australian Open qualifying has been rained off completely. And of course, we also won't get the qualifiers assigned by until Friday. So, or maybe even later if there's more rain. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a mess with that as well. Tell me something about Sheng then from uh, Hong Kong. I mean, it's just amazing for him to win two matches in a row, seven hours on the court almost, and not struggle physically. Like last year, he had mono in the first half of the year. Then in the second half, uh, that Chinese swing where, of course, he got all the wild cards because he's 18, because he's from China, because he's, well, eight, uh, because he was the world number one in juniors. He's going to be 19, as we can see on the screen in February. And um, yeah, he got all the wild cards, but against every player, he was looking competitive. But then, then in the third set, um, I think even like Maki McDonald was carrying him off the court or something like that, wasn't it? I, I mean, it was done in like a jokey type of way, but still um, like every single third free set match he would struggle as hell whereas right now uh, he actually beats two players two good players in a row both saving match points he survives seven hours almost on the court he also is back the next day to beat francis tiafoe whom he lost to quite easily twice last year in washington i think maybe and uh, the australian open actually uh, Australian Open was one of his breakout rounds as well in 2023, qualifying, making the second round. I do not right now remember who he beat in the opener, but maybe it was like Oscar Ote, but that's a bit of a guess. And um, yeah, basically, uh, it's just huge for him to get there. I think he still has like such a unique package, has over the years sort of improved his ability to also use the... Because he has a lot of natural pace, like he, he does fall into the asian stereotype a little bit where he's a little lightweight and uh, -huh. uh just a ve just has very good feel for the ball but kind of doesn't have power but he actually is very dynamic when it comes to his hitting but previously he would just be able to like unleash on the ball you know just blast a, a shot when his footwork is right when the uh, timing is okay he would just blast the ball and finish the point right away or not or miss Whereas over time, he has sort of learned to actually also use that power to construct the rally. And uh, yeah, I think right now it's just really a matter of health. And if he is going to be just in relatively good shape, I think he definitely could be fighting for the top 100 right, right now. Uh, it's a fun conversation still with Chinese tennis because, of course, for a while we had that whole, like, who's going to break the top 100 first between him, Yiping Ku, and Xi Zhang. Right now we can have the conversation of who has the most potential, who will end their careers with the highest career ranking, career, career ranking. And I think there's no wrong answer, absolutely. Like you could absolutely, you could make the point for, you could make the case for 
every single one of these three, different reasoning for everyone. So uh, it's a super fun conversation. And, and for Shank, it's just amazing to compete against great players and actually be okay physically by the end of the match, even, go, even if it goes three hours and a half, because that's something in 2023 he was clearly lacking. And uh, yeah, that's that's really it. Uh, of course, he also took a set of Rublev, then was a, struggling a little bit, actually, towards the end of that match. But well, the week was pretty intense. So now he gets a, a week off just before the Australian Open. He gets a major wildcard. It's the Asian wildcard, which right now is not a playoff anymore. It's just given to the most promising player. I think last year, was it Ibing Wu who had it? I think so. And this year, of course, it was Yun Cheng Shang. So um, can't disagree with the choice either. Um, there's a question I don't entirely understand, actually, but, but uh, it does seem to be uh, uh, prompting some interest. Uh, but maybe you do know the answer and what it means. Is Shang, and by the way, I said, by the way, Shang uh, in Hong Kong or from Hong Kong, but I meant the news of Shang doing well in, in Hong Kong rather than suggesting he is from Hong Kong before I have uh, various different lawsuits coming my way. Um, is Shang independent Chinese in the sense Li Na? Do you know what that means? Not really, that... but I would assume so because he's living in the States. He's been living in the States for a while. He's been an IMG guy for like five years or something. So he's basically been living in Florida for a while. So I, I would assume so, but that's... Um, I, I'm not exactly, um, yeah, well versed on the topic either. Um, no. So yeah, basically what I'm trying to say is that for a while now he's been living in the states, getting trained in a different system. He was so good early on that in fact some people claim that he's older than he actually is. Like uh, in the states, there was a lot of drama with that. I, I have no clue. You know, I've never been able to like confirm it or see evidence, <laughs> right? But it's possible. Like in tennis, you could actually imagine someone doing this. If you claim that your kid is two years younger than he is, then he's going to be winning in his age categories. And then he gets a huge sponsorship like IMG at the age of like 14 or 13, whatever it was when Shang got it. So um, I, I don't really want to talk too much about it because, as I said, there's no evidence regarding that. I just wanted to bring this up because like that, that's, how good, that's how freakishly good he was at an early age that people went there. Or maybe he actually cheated. Who, who the hell knows? But anyway, for a while now, he hasn't really been too connected to the Chinese system. Uh, maybe he has some funding from that. I really can't tell you, but definitely uh, he has been um, living in the States for a while now. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to thrust this upon you, Damien. So I apologize for not um, asking you or, or prompting it before. But I guess uh, Jakob Bobber, Player of the Week. Um, I mean, by the way, Jakob Bobber, Player of the Week, I apologize. Ooh. It's not not always been uh, mentioned. But, uh, you know, I think we can just sort of say Jakob Bobber, Player of the Moment, because maybe some weeks there might not be a sort of crazy out, outsider like the second week of, of the Australian Open or whatever. Uh, so I think sometimes we might have two. But I think, does, does he make sense then for a Jakob Bobro uh, award, let's say? Oh, sure. Massive, AT, massive ATP to run. I think there were a number of other candidates as well, like Menchik. Um, who else was, uh, who else went there? Kazos won a challenger title as well. I'm mostly looking at the younger guys, but I guess they make the biggest stories. But yeah, Yunching Shang, sure. Uh, fair, fair enough. And I know Jakob also uh, enjoyed watching him a lot. Uh, for now, uh, the good thing about the Jakub Bobro Player of the Week award is that whenever we give it to a certain player, I remember, you know, top, my conversations on the Challenger pod with Jakub about them, and oh, cool. I, I know what his opinion was as well. Uh, whereas, of course, in some time there might be a moment when there are there are actually players that we couldn't discuss with each other. So, but Yun Cheng Shang and the whole Chinese, uh, you know, top three, that was definitely something we. Uh, where we had on our, on our minds in a ton of episodes at some point. Shank maybe, well, especially when he won that Maiden Challenger title. But since then, he has been a little more ATP tour um, scheduled, I guess, uh, ATP tour oriented. But uh, yeah, we'll see how, how that goes for him this year. But of course, if he can get results like this, then maybe he doesn't really need to. And right now you have a lot of um, incentive as well with the new point by run by round point, point distribution too. Um, play ATP Tour events instead of grinding challengers. Cool. Uh, I think we've done uh, Brisbane now. We've done Hong Kong. We've done power rankings. We've done Nadal. We've done Zverev uh, AT, uh, ATP 
Players Council. Anything else, Hong Kong, Brisbane, or, or just men's tennis news? We've just highlight ticked off some of the players. Unfortunately, they've had to pull out injured as well as Rafa, as in Liam Brody and, and Stricker and um, uh, Riley Opelka. Is there any other men's tennis news really regarding the last sort of few days that we've missed? I'm trying to understand who is Ashley referring to when she says young. Is it about Yun Cheng Shang or is it about anyone else? I think it I might be. I, I mispronounced it, perhaps. I don't know. I might I have know. said Shang once rather than Shang. Um, like top 50 is a, is a big goal. Top, let, let's do top 100 first, you know. I, I think that's, that's a little optimistic. Uh, if you're referring to Shang, because there were a lot of comments and I kind of got lost in that. Because she says that she saw Young play in Nottingham as well. I think maybe Yunjing Shank could have played there. I'm pretty sure he played something on, on grass before before Wimbledon. Well, he definitely played Wimbledon qualies, playing against Arnaldi in the opening round and losing, but it was a very good match. Well, well anyway, never mind. To the potential to be top 50, but anyway... Um... There we go. Oh, I, uh, as I say, I think we have um, probably done this to the death unless there's any other new story that I'm I'm missing. I mean, um, who was it Dimitrov beat in the semis? Uh, I know we mentioned uh, Brisbane earlier, but... Um, Jordan Thompson. Oh, yeah, Jordan Thompson. Who did Runa therefore beat um, in the semi? Um, Roman Safurin. Oh, yeah. That was quite entertaining, but possibly because Runa was sort of getting very angry with himself and his, in, his, in his box in the second set. Um, and Safurin actually... Yeah, I think that win over Shelton was was notable. Um, that was a noteworthy result because it was actually one that slipped by. And I just sort of saw uh, the draw for maybe the quarters or the semis. And I was like, oh, I, there's no Ben Shelton there. What's going on? Ah, he's lost to Safiulin. Gotcha. So I think that one was, a. Uh, if it wasn't for the Rafa news, that might have been. And I, I didn't watch it, but it was three sets, I know. Um but Safiulin has had quite a few notable results in the last six months. I mean, th th that's not really a notable result, I think. Like, that that's underestimating not, Safiulin. I'm not, I'm not saying say it's that. a shock, Damien. I don't I, I probably, yeah. I'm not going like, wow, that's uh, that's changing. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really, I, I you know, I don't want to do this as like, a, you know, I'm John, I'm disappointed in you or something. I just want to make it clear that this isn't a result, like, at all. Like, Safiulin's Shelton, it's a 50 50 match. But it's another good result for him to, to add to the yeah. um, Alcaraz win at Paris Bercy, to Zverev in, in Asia, to his run at Wimbledon, of course. And uh, and he's building up quite a, a healthy CV. Absolutely, yeah. The the past two or three months, uh, we've seen we, we've seen like the most sort of reliable version of Safiurin, where actually that peak game shows up in almost every match. Is it just sort of yeah getting polished up with experience? We would hope so. And he's definitely a guy that no one will want to draw at the Australian Open. Does he actually get a seeding? Um, let me check that because he was close. He was battling for it, but I don't think he did quite enough. Yeah, number 35 right now. So Safurin will be unseeded indeed. And when we're looking at the unseeded players in uh, in Melbourne, uh, I mean, you have to look at Safurin and Fields, I think, as the two worst draws in the competition. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's a pretty horrible round one. Whoever I think uh, plays, even even Novak, yeah. uh, although Novak will yeah. win it, I think he just won't want it. That's for sure. Um, all right, I think we should uh, bring this to a close now because I, I, honestly, I can't think of um, any other big things that spring to mind. We we'll probably finish the show and then something will come to me in the next five or ten minutes. But I think we've uh, there's no other tournaments, at least on the main tour, to talk about, and um, plenty of discussions to have about Australia. But we can. Uh, save those for the next few days, particularly with the draw still to come. Uh, do hit the like button uh, and do subscribe to the channel if you haven't. And if you do so in the next couple of minutes, you'll get the pleasure of seeing that uh, subscriber count tick over. Hi, Miles. Uh, we'll be seeing Miles. Oh, that's another thing I want to say. We've got WTA Weekly coming up in just over an hour. Um, if my uh, clock is right and so on and so forth, Miles will be joining Nick for that. We might have Biola, but please don't tune in and be disappointed if Biola doesn't make it because I know that um, there may be one or two technical reasons that might prevent her from joining. But if we don't have her tonight um, or today, we won't. We'll definitely have her at some point in the near future. But of course, they will be talking about Nick's power rankings, but also the last seven days in tennis. So please join us for that. And if you're watching this retrospectively, 
please, please, please do get in the comment section below and have your thoughts on the last seven days in men's tennis, but also uh, the power rankings discussion that we had. That was a bit of a monologue, Damien. Yeah, uh, just to briefly also talk about the question that Ashley posed. Just one sure. player, honestly. I will name just one player. If you guys had to pick anyone in qualifying, should we should will watch out for and why? Uh, basically, I think when when I'm looking at the whole draw and um, sort of sort of taking uh, maybe not taking into consideration what who they have to play in the qualifying first, but if we're talking about the guys there and like who could actually have a big run at the Australian Open, I think there's one clear answer, and that's Hamad Majerovic the uh, next-gen finals champion. He might actually play um, Abdullah Shelby in a rematch from Jeddah in the second round. Then he could also have to beat Blocks or Svaida. He lost to Blocks in Antwerp qualifying. But um, yeah, if we're talking about like strictly power level of the guys in the qualies, I think there's a number of them, of course, who could win matches. We've got the insane round one between Nakashima and Menshik. Whoever qualifies from that one will be really strong in the main draw if they indeed pull it off. And they have a pretty easy draw uh, outside of that. Of course, there's a number of other good players. Like we have another section and Goffin Diallo might be the third, the third round. Kovacevic is there and etc. But I think Majerovic is the one clear answer if we're talking about a player who has the potential to actually win like uh, a lot of matches in the in the main draw if he makes it. And he's also had success in Grand Slam qualifying already. He's qualified for Wimbledon. He's qualified for the uh, French Open. Fair enough. Um... Did I put a poll uh, in this uh, particular conversation regarding the Australian Open? I don't remember. Um, let me just have a quick look. Um, I know I've got one for the women anyway, so, so do click on that link for that. Uh, I hope I put a poll up, but I, sometimes I forget. Um, let's see if I put a poll up. This is very slow, the internet, for some reason. Nope, I didn't put a poll up. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You can just get in the comments section below and tell me who you think is going to win the Australian Open. Okay, cool. Thanks, Damien. And we'll speak to each other very soon. And everybody else, you know the drill. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.